across it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. This call is being recorded. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Five Stripe Final, the only highly distributed audio discussion discussing all things Atlanta United. I'm Jay Sam Jones from Dirty South Soccer. The show is sponsored by Dirty South Soccer. And Joe Patrick, the managing editor of Dirty South Soccer, is over there. Say hey, Joe. What's going on, Sam? Oh, Joe, once again, we, we have tricked someone into coming on to our show uh, the world's greatest and maybe only Argentine football journalist is joining us on the other line, all the way from Buenos Aires, I believe, uh, the owner of GalazzoArgentino.com. Uh, you can also check his work out on Who Scored at the Independent at 442. You can also listen to him on Hand of Pod. Peter Coates, not Quatas, is joining us. Peter, how are you? <laughs> Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you obviously have a unique uh background that's it's very relative to what we have here in Atlanta with so many Argentinian players and so much Argentinian influence uh, with this team uh, that's miles and miles away which has just become a really fascinating part and part of the the culture of this team and this fan base really but first we wanted to go ahead before we get into that is just get a little bit about your background and tell us a little about galazzoargentino.com uh, yeah I mean I I moved down here not originally to do with football but um i was teaching for some years ago here and then started writing based on the, the argentine football here um uh, so that's where golasso came from and then that just kind of grew into some of the other places i write for that you mentioned um and some like podcasts and and this kind of stuff but um yeah it's all just kind of stemmed from golasso which i just set up just as a kind of Killing time and, and noticing the fact that really in depth stuff on the on the league here was usually in Spanish. There wasn't a, lot, a great deal in English, so that was um, really where it stemmed from, and it's just been going strong now for I don't know four five years, something like that. Is there a major interest in kind of these these Anglophile these English markets uh, with Argentine football? It's an interesting kind of void to fill. I think I wouldn't necessarily think there'd be a ton of uh, <laughs> interest. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you'd probably be right. <laughs> you'd probably be right. <laughs> um, now, it's certainly a niche, um, but I, I guess w- mainstream media would obviously be more focused on um, the national team and, and Messi or any other interesting stories um, around the world, uh, maybe like Atlanta, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, Rather than focused on necessarily just the domestic football here, unless it's maybe the Super Classico or, or something major happens. But obviously, what you what you find a lot of with South American football is it only really reaches the mainstream if it's something awful that happens. So you know, when there's some kind of violence off the pitch, some scandal, <laughs> a scandal of some sort, then um, the us or england uh, the british market are interested but otherwise it's, it's not so much I, I think it's it seems to be growing somewhat there seems to be a lot of more um english club accounts opening up on twitter and this kind of thing um mm-hmm. so you know you, you never know and i think obviously also as atlanta have, have proved it's also a good market to buy from 
um, and some of the best players in Europe and, and the US come out of Argentina. So there always is that interest in people wanting to discover those players before anyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, Atlanta United has been uh, one of those teams that has definitely dipped into the market a whole heck of a lot. But the big news here in Atlanta this week has been the Tatoclips, as we're calling it, the discussion around Tata Martino's uh, interesting comments to Colombian radio about being very interested in taking the Argentine national team again, or potentially the Colombian team. And then somehow Mexico got involved along the way. Uh, it seems like more and more countries are getting involved uh, every single hour we end up checking this thing. Um, but I did kind of want to get some context about Tata's original step with uh, the Argentine national team because it, it didn't seem to end from from my perspective anyways. It didn't seem to end in exactly positive terms. Could you kind of provide just a little bit of background for that so we can understand why he may even be considering going back to uh, the AFA? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think the reason why I guess you'd consider it is because since that time when he did leave, which you're right to say was under really bad circumstances, um, we've obviously had a uh, an, an AFA makeover as a new president. Um, so I think that's why the new president seems a lot more open to the idea of Martino coming back. Um, but certainly you're, you're definitely right to point out that when he left, the relation was absolutely broken um and then uh, there was also um martino and his backroom staff were in some sort of legal wrangle with the afro over unpaid uh, compensation i think for when he, when his contract when, when he left um so it was a real real mess and it and really is a, is a mess if the fact that they're going potentially going back to martino now um given that really in that case it's sort of two years wasted for Argentina, um, millions of dollars, which the AFA definitely don't have spent on paying him off in the first place, <laughs> bringing in Bowser, getting rid of Bowser, bringing in San Paoli, uh, getting rid of San Paoli, and then obviously potentially bringing in Martino or whoever. But if it's Martino, then you, you definitely would have to say, well, you know, that's two years wasted. And, you know, personally, I think he was a, a little hard done by anyway um, in the circumstances. And I think those two years have probably proven that now it, in hindsight. Well, so my, I guess my, my question here is um, basically my interpretation of his interview was that, you know, he was talking nice about the Colombian national team job because, Hey, I mean, he's on the, he's on a Colombian radio station. He's not going to be, you know, and it is a great, it's a great job. Um, and, you know, he said the same things about Argentina and obviously it's respectful to say those kinds of things. And I'm sure he believes it as well. But what are the fans opinion of him? Um, because like, would, would, would they be interested in him coming back and maybe providing a little bit of, would he be seen as like a, a stabilizing presence there? Because I know obviously things were, um, in, in flux so much this world cup with Sam Pauli. I think actually now, given how much of a mess things were under Sam Pauli, he would be a lot more positively received than he would have been previously. Um, I think, as I said, people would now look back at his time as manager in a different light than maybe they did when he first left. Um, and given that Sam Pauli was 
sort of this very popular figure that everyone, oh, okay, he's he's the best man for the job. He's he's definitely the guy that's going to turn things around and was such a disaster that I think it's made a lot of people probably reassess um, the the alternatives to the Argentina manager. And I think obviously you can you can count out um, the likes of Simeone or or Pochettino. And when you're looking at the next group down from that, then I think Martino is certainly one of the stronger candidates. So I think the supporters would look at it in that way rather than um, hold any negativity from his first um, stint in charge. Right, right. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and so one of the things that's kind of been... Um, and te- uh, giving giving us some added stress, I guess is the best way to put it, is looking at Tata Martino's managerial history. If you look, he's never been longer than two years at any single club. Obviously, with, in a national team setup, he's, he's been there um, for you know an entire World Cup cycle or something like that, but not at a club. And obviously, we're coming up on two years here at Atlanta United. Um do you have any insight into this? Like why he jumps around? Uh, if do you, can you tell us like, has he let when he's left clubs, has it been on his terms or has it kind of been a, a bad situation where it's been a time where it, it's appropriate for him to leave a club? Um, I'm, I'm just trying to just feel out whether it, this is more his trend of short managerial tenures is, more of his personal preference or if it's just a, a coincidence of how his career has gone? Um, I would probably give him the benefit of the doubt and say for coincidence. I mean, I mean, certainly in his early managerial career, when he did, he moved sort of several clubs and ended up in Paraguay. Um, he did do that, but I guess that's quite common in, in South America, with South American management anyway. That okay. Managers don't last very long. I mean, it is very rare that you get um, you know, you know like for example, in Argentina now, I think people would talk about Gachada at River, who has been there for four years or so, as as an absolute colossal run. Um, so that's considered a, a you know, you don't get those Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger types in in South American football, <laughs> right? In general, so um, so there's that. But I think also once Martino kind of really made his name as the national team boss with Paraguay. Um, you know, he he had quite a long stint there, and I think obviously he took them to the World Cup to their best ever finish. Um, and I, and I think it kind of reached its natural conclusion with Paraguay, where he had done really as much as anyone could be expected. Then he obviously went back to Newell's, a club which plays a huge part in his in his career from his playing days. Um, and again, was was hugely successful there, but then. When Barcelona came calling, obviously there wasn't really much of a decision there to make as an opportunity to go and manage Barcelona. Uh, and then, and then that that next decision wasn't his. You know, the first one season that he had at Barcelona wasn't a great success, so he left, um, leading into Argentina. So I think since his period of real success, there's always been a, a a reason behind him leaving, rather than him just being the sort of guy who jumps from one thing to the other. Uh, or at least a reason which you can understand. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily be looking at it at, as an Atlanta sport to thinking, oh, this is kind of what he does and now he'll definitely be wanting to, to jump off. If the Argentina job is, is actually offered to him, then you probably would say, okay, well, it's a, it's a huge, huge job 
Um, so there's probably a reason that you, you might want to take it, but I think it would be just for the fact that it's a, it's a great job rather than him actively seeking to leave Atlanta. Right, right. That, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and that gives me, <laughs> that, that gives me a little bit better feeling about what's going on, but who, who knows, who knows what's going to happen here. Um, I talked to him today at, at training and, you know, it's so funny in the morning he gave, he gives this big interview with the Colombian radio station. He knows it's going to be a huge deal at, at media this morning. And he walks into the room while all the media are sitting in the lobby, kind of just waiting for availability to begin. And he just waves, you know, says good morning to everybody as he walks upstairs with his little cup of, with his cup of coffee and just uh, <laughs> very cool and calm and collected about the whole thing. Um, Tata is a troll at heart, even if you won't admit it. <laughs> well, he's in a good position as well, I guess, because he's done great things with you guys and has at the same time repaired any potential damage that people were looking at him from Barcelona, Argentina, I think. So he's in this position where he is desirable to all of the national teams that you mentioned, probably a lot of clubs as well, um, and obviously Atlanta, um, desperate to keep him as well. So, he, you know, he holds all these cards and should feel, should feel pretty good about that again. Right, right. Yeah, and my, you, my, my you, mentioned Barcel- oh, so you mentioned Barcelona, and that was another thing I wanted to bring up was um, his relationship with Messi. I, I know that there's been some um, perceived consternation or, or friction between those two. Maybe not like friction in terms of their personalities or anything, but just in the way that he has been managed. Is there any concern amongst Argentine fans about that aspect of it, about whether that whether their styles are kind of cohesive and, and can can get along together? Because I know like, you know, Messi didn't have his best year um, when Tata was in Barcelona and then uh, well, I, I, he did fine when he was uh, managing Argentina, I guess. But that's just something I've heard. Yeah, no, it has been a room, and I, and I saw, in the, I think, in the same interview where Martino was talking about those jobs, he was also asked about Messi and, and said, Look, I have no problem, we don't have any problem, we have a normal working relation. Um, and it was quite the opposite when he got the Barcelona job, because at that point it was saying that he was Messi's pick, you know, from the, the Newell's, Newell's connection, um, it was because of Messi that he had landed the Barcelona job. Um, and probably, once again, a messy link that brought him to Argent- the Argentina job as well. So I think anything, the, the reverse of that, now saying that they, they might have a problem with each other, I don't know if there is any truth in it. Only they'll really be able to answer that because obviously Messi keeps his cards pretty close to his chest, doesn't, isn't someone who's very outspoken, and Martino's denied anything. So um, I wouldn't be able to add anything to that um, without it being pure speculation. Sure. Um, but I don't think it's something that anyone would concern themselves with. I mean, I mean, at the moment, anyway, there's a big question mark over Messi's long-term future with the national team anyway. So that's a sort of separate, a separate point. Sam, did you Peter, I am curious a little bit. Uh, just, we, we've talked about perception of Tata uh, in Argentina. Is there any kind of perception that you've gathered uh about Atlanta United and MLS in general, just kind of beginning to kind of dip into this South American market. Because what I've gathered is it's kind of been like, what the hell? Why are they going to America of all places? Especially with the Ezequiel Barco signing where people were very much uh, 
shocked, I think, that one of Independiente's starlets had made the choice to come uh, to the States here. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that was the transfer, I think, which, um, which really made people take notice. And, and people were, uh, were and probably still are asking that question. Um, however, I mean, you, you know, I think there's, there's reasons that the clubs obviously here need the money. And I think if, if they don't really care so much, <laughs> who's going to pay it? Um, so if Atlanta are willing to meet the price that Independiente set for Barco, um, then, then the transfer was done. Uh, but I think as a result of the increase in, in Argentinian players, um, not even the ones as high profile as Barco, but I think uh, that's increased uh, people's awareness of, of the MLS. Um, and I think that will only increase should um, the likes of Barco or Almiron uh, mm. then move on and, and show that the, the system works. Uh, i.e. that they can still get their moves to Europe um, because I think in, in, the, in the event that that happens um, and Atlantic make get the money back or a profit on with these players and the players end up in Europe and, and are successful then once that cycle is complete then I think more and more MLS clubs and more and more players from here are going to say oh, you know what this, this actually works and I can go there play in a nice environment earn a bit of money and still get to Europe yeah, I, I think for one of the moments for me when I realized that it was going to be a little different than it had been in the past was when Tata Martino talked about why uh, there was an interview he did with local media uh, last season. You know, at the beginning of last season, when people were still getting to know the players of the te- on the team, you know, and getting accustomed to well, just the sport in general. And someone asked, um, "Why did you bring in Miguel Almiron? Like, who is this? You know, basically just trying to." get a feel for who this player was. And he goes, Oh, well I brought him in because I thought he was the best player in Argentina last year. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I guess that's the pull of Tata Martino is he can, you know, he's just, and I, I think for him at that time, you know, it kind of, if he really did believe Almiron was the best player in, in, in uh, the Primera division that, that year, um, it kind of helped that it was a player like Almiron who had not only a connection to Tata through Paraguay, but is just a humble guy in general and, you know, would have that, that kind of faith to make that jump. Um, and I wanted to talk about him a little more. What are your recollections of him when he played at Lanus? And then I want to kind of get your, um, your opinion on what you think the best landing spot is for him. Cause I think that that's a big kind of debate amongst Atlanta United fans is um, where, where he fits best in, in Europe, you know, is it in the Premier league? Is it um, in La Liga? Is it, you know, somewhere else? What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, going back to how he was here with Lanús, um, Martino was probably right in, in that assessment that in the season that Lanús won the title, um, you could make a pretty good claim that Almiron was the best player in the league. Um, yeah, he was sensational in, in that midfield role um, in what was the best Lanús side, uh, well, maybe, possibly in history, in their club's history. Um, and since he left, they've only really begun to decline. They obviously did reach the Libertadores final um, the following year or 18 months later or so. But even that was a weaker team than the team that won the league with Almiron. And since then has, has got much worse. Um, so I wasn't at all surprised to see him as a success in the MLS because I think he was someone who at the time 
after that season with Lanús winning the league, everyone was expecting him to go to Europe at that point. And I think if he had, if if he'd been um, Argentinian, I think it would have been a bit more uh, of a fuss made about the fact that he didn't go to Europe and went to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that him being, him being Paraguayan um, made it a little bit more understated, but certainly for those people that had watched the, the premiere of that season, they, would have, they knew that it was a huge coup for, for Atlanta to sign him. Um, where, as to where he ends up in Europe, um, you know, I don't know where he'd best be suited. I mean, you could, look, you could argue that the, the Premier League, with how quick it is and, and obviously how quick Almiron is, um, I think he could, he could do well there. Um, but, you know, I, I guess it's going to come down again to, to Atlanta setting their price and, and just whoever is, is willing to, to meet that. Yeah, I've always, you know, I, I watched a little bit after Atlanta United announced him as, as the signing. I went back and watched some of his games with Lanus, and it seemed like there he played, he had a more of a, um, a box-to-box role than what he's been doing in Atlanta um, for for a large portion of 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 our of the way that we've deployed the team is he's playing more as a traditional number ten or even almost like almost like a support striker. He gets up into the box. Uh, a lot as to where you know I mean he was doing that at Linus obviously but he was mm. he he had more room to almost like stretch his legs in midfield I thought um, yeah uh, that, I think that was where they got the best out of him because <clears throat> he did play in that more uh, maybe out wide or a bit further forward initially and whether by chance or it was genuinely they they saw something tactically there but when he moved back into one of the three of the midfield of the three and a four three three. That was when they saw the best for him because, as you say, when he was running from deep, um, he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just th- and I think you're right. It's kind of hard to tell exactly like what league or you know team or whatever he would be best on. But I, I just hope that when he when he moves on, he's he's kind of in one of those roles because I feel like that's when he can really use his dynamic abilities physically um, with his pace to 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 move around. Um, I feel like sometimes he can get when he's kind of stuck in a in a number ten position. He he's not. Um, he just doesn't have like all his tools at his disposal, really. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on with you, Peter, and that is not a player who plays for Atlanta United right now, but he used to. Um, it's Yamil Assad. He is like still a cult hero here, um, especially with you know him leaving this off season or last off season, and Barco coming in, Ezekiel Barco coming in. Um, Barco hasn't done as well as a lot of Atlanta fans would have hoped. And Assad has gone on to uh, another team in MLS DC United and played, you know, kept up um, the play that he had here. And I know Tata Martino wanted to keep him here because of the way he performed last season. Um, but he was never able to really make an impression at Velez, it seems like. Um, and I know his dad was a was a famous player there, I think, at Velez. Um, and I just wonder if you have any kind of background on on kind of uh, well, first of all, just like the struggles kind of he had there, uh, I guess that's kind of <laughs> the, the the mystery surrounding him considering, you know, because he wasn't he didn't have that much success in Argentina. He's coming to MLS and been electric as opposed to Barco, Ezekiel Barco, who was having a very good uh, campaign, I guess, you know, more so in South America, um, but hasn't been as great in MLS. Yeah, I think um, in the case of Assad, as you mentioned, he comes from a, a family um, with really strong links 
to Velez. Um, as he said, his dad um, played for them. Uh, and I think he, he's, he's also the, the nephew or great nephew of, of another play, a former player as well. Um, so he, he kind of had everything in place to, to be a success at Velez. Um, and came through their academy, which is which is one of the academies which really does bring through a lot of good players. And even now, um, you look at the Velez first team, and it's usually sort of half of it is is made up of academy products. So Assad was in that group, but uh, I think he had some problems off the field, um, and in terms of just sort of his professionalism was was what was really letting him down. So I don't think it was his ability as such um but i mean it seems to have worked out wonderfully from the moving out of the country has it could have gone either way i think and it could have been an early end of his career almost um but he seems to have gone the other way and and knuckled down and and found his feet it's really interesting to me and joe touched on it a little bit just kind of the polar opposite perceptions in two different countries of Assad and then Ezekiel Barco. Of course, we, t- we talked a little bit about Barco's, uh, how much he was appreciated at Independiente. And now he's come here and it's very different than what Assad experienced with uh, cult hero status and everything like that. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of go back uh, and take us through Barco's time at Independiente. And, and do you think... Atlanta fans are being a little bit impatient with him uh, right now because the general the general consensus around Atlanta right now is not an extremely positive one of CQ. Yeah, and I, I think from by all accounts there seems to be some off field stuff there as well. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, you're right Assad, about that. Yeah. <laughs> came came when he was still at Velez as a, as a kid. Um, Varkos has come obviously now um, after a big money move. Um, with that to one side, um, yeah, I, mean, I think looking back at Barco's time with Independiente, uh, he came into the side, into a very poor side where Independiente changed managers a lot um, and he came into a very disjointed side and just was able to show flashes of, of his ability really. Um, but it became quite apparent with how Independiente really struggled offensively and creatively uh, even when he was 17 the team was still just sort of leaving him to do a lot of stuff and passing him the ball and then all right see see what you can do and as a result there was a lot of games where um Barco had too much to do and as a result also tried to do too much and it was a, something which stayed in his game um probably all the way through his independiente career but obviously in the last six months or so, he had great success. But, but even in those individual games, those moments when there was a pass on and you know he would try and, and beat a player. And I think that was always a part of his, his game, which you'd hope with a bit more time um, he would sharpen up on. Um, but, I mean, as a, as a talent, he was absolutely incredible. Um, and as I said, those part, the last six months or so of his stay at Independiente um, when they won the Copa Sudamericana. Uh, Barco was instrumental to that um, and did look like a player um, who would be going 
who would who'd be going straight to Europe for a, for a huge amount of money. So it was a shock when it was Atlanta, the team that were coming in saying, OK, and they still paid a lot of money, certainly as well by MLS standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think coming with that does come the fact that, you know, when buying 17, 18 year old from South America is moving to that far to a new league, even with the money spent, I think you do need to allow a period of time to say, OK, well, we are... If we're going to challenge the European clubs and the European clubs that would have been buying Barco at that time would have been buying him for that. It was like a, develop, a developmental player. They wouldn't have been necessarily buying him at 18 to say, OK, we're going to put this guy into our first team and he's going to be the main man. And I think if Atlanta's idea was to rival those type of clubs, and I think they do kind of have to employ a similar mentality of like, OK, but we do need to allow him some time. Um, now, obviously, it doesn't help himself when, he, when there's rumours of off-field problems. But I think if just strictly judging him on the pitch, there does need to be some leeway given um, for the situation that he finds himself in at his age um, to see where he can develop. And, and I'd still p- probably suggest that with time, Atlanta will still get a very, very good player out of it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's totally spot on. I mean, I think when if you're Atlanta United, you know, you're you're prospecting. You're you're trying, and you have to take a little bit more chances if you want to. If you if you want this to work out, where you get a player who becomes a guy who develops into a European star, you kind of have to take the chances. You know, that's the position that you're in as a as a you know smaller team on the world stage. So, I think that's I think that's a good way for Atlanta United fans to kind of you know frame his you know his time in Atlanta yeah and I think that's the difference when Almiron was a bit further along in his career um so I think there's he, you know he wasn't still 18 when he came um so in that in that example he came and kind of hit the ground running uh so it'd be easy then to, to think okay well that's what we want all of our big money signings to be able to do but I think Barco at his age was a was a special case and does need a bit more time. Well, we've been talking a bit about all these players that just come in from Argentina and many of them have mentioned, uh, you know, they didn't need anything much more than El Tata called or El Tata was going to be a part of this uh, is what they said to us. And uh, we've been panicking a little bit uh, just to get the Tata apocalypse, whatever we're calling it now. Uh, but we've been panicking a little bit just with the idea that maybe the pipeline to Argentina gets cut off after Tata leaves. Uh, do you think that's a possibility? Do you think uh, Atlanta United is entrenched enough within the Argentine football community to continue uh, bringing players there and, and moving them along to Europe? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be really interesting to see how much of Atlanta's um strategies tied in with Martino. Um, it, so in that sense, it, is, it does make it a bit more uh, frightening, the prospect that he could leave. Um, but I do think that more and more MLS clubs are looking at the signing, like, for example, like, like Atlanta have done, but also um, players like Vereri or uh, mm-hmm. Piatti. Um, and looking at the quality they bring, uh, and therefore actively scouting in South America, um, because of the fact that 
the MLS is the dollar is so strong compared to the currency here as well um, <laughs> and you know there's a lot of advantages in addition to, to just financial to go into play in, in the US so I think Qatar is obviously a, a, a huge lure to South American players um, but I don't think it would stop the club from, from actively looking as most the other MLS clubs do all right, Peter. Well, excellent stuff, man. Thank you so much for your time. Real quick, anything you want to plug before we let you get out of here? Uh, no, no. I, mean, I think you mentioned so. Like, yeah, this got last. So, um, we mm-hmm. we recorded one podcast, so maybe we'll do some others in the near future. But um, no, that's a, that's about it. So, you just go to galassa.com and you'll see what I'm up to. Excellent, excellent, Peter. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good thanks, one, Peter. All right, you too. That was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. God, and the mellow tones of Peter Coates. I had no idea he was British, by the way. I assume he's British. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put any nationality on him, but but loved every minute of listening to that. It was a great interview. I, I enjoyed it. He he's very mellow. You know, you got I, our listeners need to understand we're doing this at uh what is it? Thursday. It's ten thirty right now. Uh-huh. It's eleven thirty for, for Peter. The <laughs> Argentina is an hour ahead, so um, very much appreciate him coming on and giving us his thoughts after a, a long day at work. Yeah, absolutely. No, super insightful about just uh, the past. The the not tortured past, but the the the. Gosh, sometimes you just need to. To look at a, the whole picture, you know, and uh, Peter kind of gave that to us uh, with just a little bit of info about everyone uh, that we've come to love and appreciate over the last year and however many months now uh, and what they did in Argentina and how they're perceived and what kind of things are going on. Um, again, the most fascinating thing to me continues to be a secular Barco. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I got everything he was talking about with him trying to make every decision and no decisions at once. <laughs> yeah, so spot on. Uh, I, I really liked what he had to say too, about um, him being needed to given needing to be given more time um, mm-hmm. because he's totally right. He, he, you know, he said it, we, we were competing against European giants for his signature. And if he had gone to one of those European giants, he would be in the reserves or playing cup games. You know, like he wouldn't be, um, he wouldn't have been thrust into a starting lineup for one of those teams. And they, and those fans would not have expected him to be, you know, performing at, you know, some very high level. They would have seen him as a project player. And that's not to say that, I understand that Atlanta only has three chances. You know, they only have three players that they can spend X amount of money on. Um, so they need those players to perform. But at the same time, that doesn't remove the reality of the situation that he's 18 years old. We bought him when he was 17. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. He mentioned Miguel's, uh, Miguel's age when he came over. I mean, he was coming off again, an incredible, incredible season at Linus and was playing really, really well. A secular was too, but not at the level of the best player in Argentine soccer at the time, which uh, computer again said that was a convincing argument to be made 
that's exactly what Miguel was. Um, so we do kind of have to measure them on different scales, I think, right now. Um, yeah, I mean, different. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, Miguel, when we got him, he was 23. And right. we got Barco when he was 17. So that's six years. We it, it, It's so easy to just lump them in together as like, you know, air quotes, young players. Because they are. I mean, that's fair. They are. But there's levels to this shit. <laughs> there's right. young player and then there's like teenage kid like Andrew Carlton, you know? Um, cool. Yeah. So yeah. who knows? Barco, when he's 23, God knows what he he might be playing in uh, L. He could he could be playing for Atletico Madrid or he could be playing for, you know, the uh, Real Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I was trying to think of some like crappy, um, like bottom of the table Argentine team. I can't, I couldn't think of any Rosario yeah. Central. Went way away crappy. Just, to, just to insult Tata Martina. They're all named his former club. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's such a gap in, in those two players in terms of their ages and where they were at in their careers when they came in. It's so easy to just lump them in as, you know, compare them as like designated players or young players or whatever you want, but they're in different moments. For sure. For sure. Uh, Anything else that kind of stood out for you there uh, from our talk with Peter? Um, No, not really. I mean, I liked it. It was all interesting just, but that was definitely the one point I wanted to kind of hammer home again about, about, about Barco. Um, But we should definitely talk about Tata. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We talked to him today. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It came from the mountainside and was upon us. The Tatacalypse. <laughs> Man, media availability this morning seems like a week ago. It seems so long ago. <laughs> um, I mean, I was just following on Twitter, just trying to make sure I got the stuff out on time. And I was... I was stressed, man. I can't imagine what it was like actually being there. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate you being there this morning, kind of being on top of it. Sam, you helped get the uh, story out on Dirty South Soccer this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just really interesting. Um, not a ton of media there, I, I, actually. I, I thought there would be more, but um, Mitch was there. Um, he's not there every time. Um He's with the AJC, or he's reporting when he's in Atlanta. He's reporting for Pro Soccer USA. Um, but it was it was like it was definitely intense. So normally when we go to media um, for our training, you know, it's just typically it's just just the communication staff member. Typically it's Justin. Um, every once in a while it's Chris. But that's usually only if his his underlings, Justin and Chris uh, Raimondi, don't you know aren't able to be there for some reason. Um, or, or it could be Chris Raimondi. So those are usually like, they'll just kind of be out there interviewing the guys, whatever. Um, and today it was like that for the first two players for Braggazan and Michael Parkhurst, because Lord knows they're going to give a, a, uh, you know, sound, solid, safe interview. Um, But when Tata came, when Tata came out, we had when Tata was speaking, we had every someone from like every level of the Atlanta United communications organization, uh, <laughs> like lingering yeah. around uh, behind the press scrum. Right. And I mentioned this to you earlier in the Slack chat. It's, it's fascinating to me. This interview that has set everything in an emotion even happened. Um, 
I understand him going to Colombian radio and everything like that, but I guess there was no indication that they were going to be discussing the particular things they discussed with the national team jobs or anything like that. It feels like something that if they had known beforehand, they would have not allowed that particular information to, to get out. Yeah. And that's something that um, I don't know yet. I haven't, (laughs) I, there, it was already such a stressful situation this morning. I didn't want to. I didn't want to ask it this morning whether like they had, they knew. Um, I can only assume they didn't. I, I I I was, you know, whispering whispering with Doug Doug Roberson from the AJC. We were we were sharing you know our our thoughts about the secretive uh, Colombian radio interview, and yeah, we both agreed that. There's no way he had received permission to to do that. I mean, he sounded if you listen to the interview, he sounds like he was like on his couch or just something, just like I'm just sure talking so nonchalantly and just you know yeah. just chatting essentially. Yeah, God bless Tata for just being that open about pretty much everything except for maybe like a lineup uh, change. He might be <laughs> yeah. making pretty much everything else. You ask him, he'll. He'll sit down and, and talk to you. About, but you think he cares? Uh, like, you think he needs permission to like? He's going to talk to who, whoever he wants to talk to. No, no actually, it was funny. Speaking, right. speaking of speaking no, of it, giving lineup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of giving lineup, but even today we were talking. We were asking him about Darlington Abbey, his return, and. Um, you know, I asked him how he's going to be integrated back in with Rometty and Laurentowitz kind of having a good pairing in central midfield. And he was kind of shrugging his shoulders and he was playing coy a little bit. And Doug was like, well, you know, Nagby, when he was playing a lot, he, you guys were in a three, five, two. Is that something you could go back to? And Tata just goes, good idea. <laughs> in English. <laughs> yeah, no, he, uh, he has absolutely every right to, to go and say whatever the hell he wants to because he's Tata Martino. And, you know, uh, I'm just speaking purely from a PR perspective, if I, uh, you know, and just from the perspective of, of communications, uh, I'm sure they weren't <laughs> necessarily upset, but I'm sure it wasn't exactly a wonderful thing to, to get on their radar. Uh, Tuesday night or whenever it was. They were probably, they were just rolling their eyes like, gosh, dang it. Right. I used my week so much harder. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I was getting out like, Oh, yep. I got to make a call by October 1st. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk, let's talk about this because if so, October 1st is the date. Um, He said that they're, you know, they're in constant communication about it but you know they have a sounds like they have a meeting and that's when basically the deadline when they have to decide so i guess what what i'm wondering is um what happens on like december 2nd or 3rd if we haven't heard something uh that means we're an mls cup congratulations to atlanta united (laughs) by continuing their season long enough to make it that far uh we i my gut call says we will not know until the season's over um, and that's just my random opinion that I had pop in my head literally while you were talking about it. But, uh, I don't think we will know October 1st. There probably will not be some major, uh, announcement. Um, uh, but then again, as I'm saying that they may have some prospect in mind, some transfer in mind where they want to go ahead and get that out there immediately and be like, look, who's back. Uh, you might as well go ahead and start working on making your way to uh 
it's hearts for Jackson. Uh, right. Or, or the I, but, but, I, but I guess my question is, you do you think that if they came to an agreement and extended his contract, they would not they would not state that he did that until after the season? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I, I my thought is that they wouldn't that they would keep it under wraps um, because you don't necessarily have to put that out in public to you know and encourage a transfer to come. You can drop that line to an agent and say, "Hey, look, he back." You know, um, you don't have to put together. Ryan Catney doesn't have to go out and make this big social video about it and make it a whole big deal until they want to. And if they feel like it'll be a distraction during the season, um, if they just need some off-season content, uh, then more power to them. They're probably going to hold on to it. That's my opinion. So, so for me, I, 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 there, I, you know, totally fair uh, opinion. I think mm. from a strategic perspective, I would beg to differ. I would say right. that it would make more sense to either announce that he's coming back or announce that he's not coming back and just let people know what the situation is, because then at least you're not going to be getting hounded about it um, while the playoffs are going on because the playoffs start, you know, mid October ish, I guess, I think, I don't know. I haven't looked at the schedule, but I mean, this is going to be right when these hard questions are going to be asked is right during the, you know, the crucial moment of the season. So, um, I feel like if they if they announce that he would not be returning, I mean, it would be sad, but I don't know. I, I just feel like I would if I were the club, I would rather not have the speculation about it because of the media scrutiny that would and not that <laughs> us Atlanta media are, you know. Super. Is, you right. know, basically, <laughs> usually, like when Tata says, like to, he said today, he was like, "Let's talk about Colorado." Everybody's like, "Okay, yep, Colorado." Uh, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I need to work on that. I, I need to. I need to a stronger mentality. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I just think maybe maybe it's just my own personal biases and just like what I want is to know. Um, but we'll see. Right. We'll see. I just feel like it would serve them no harm in announcing that he's back um, as soon as possible. But sure. if you want to keep it all disguised, it makes sense not to say that until after the season. So, yeah, and that's that's a completely fair point too. I, I really don't know, and I'm glad I'm not communication staff right now. Um, my general my general inclination with anything PR is to that they will keep it secret because. That's just kind of the nature of PR in a lot of That's cases. Like PR it's really right. annoying. It is. It is. It's awful. Uh, it's not a journalistic perspective at all. It's, it's very much the opposite. Um, I was always told the PR, P- PR is, the, yeah, it's the opposite of journalism. Pretty much. It's, 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 PR is the spin, and journalism is trying to, you know, unspin. Right. So, so they have all the power here. They have all the power here. Um, and they can drop it whenever they want. Um, it may be, it may be telling if they don't drop it. Um, it may mean that he's gone because they don't want to have questions about a coaching search going on at the same time. If he signs, maybe they go ahead and do it. I think that may be a big indicator. I'm not telling you to freak out on October 1st when, you know, they don't drop a five minute Facebook video. Uh, welcome to the style, uh, about Tata resigning. Uh, but that could be one of the ways they go. Um, well, who, really knows i'm telling you right now i'm going to be freaking out if they don't do that just so okay. you know just so you know just so right. you so you can prepare yourself for my emotions 
If yeah. if we do not hear, I am going to assume that he's not coming back. Maybe not on October second, okay. but like a week after the like October first or tenth or something like that. If we haven't heard by then, yeah. that's when you can just be aware. You know that I'll mm-hmm. be freaking out. I've been freaking out the entire time. I've been freaking out uh, for for a while now I, about I, this. Uh, I was really I freaking out last Tata, night. Joe, I don't want to lose Tata because his. Just from a purely media selfish perspective, uh, coaches in general in sports are insane people. They suck. They suck. They're terrible people. We, we, We idolize these people. They're awful. They're just like, you would never, ever want to talk to these people at a party, mostly, or in real life, or anything like that. Um, if you do interact with them, they're probably yelling at like wait staff or something for not getting their order out in time. Uh, you have to be on some levels and it, and it varies from sport, but on some levels you kind of have to be sociopathic about your intentions to never stop, never stopping the intensity to win games. Um, so especially at higher levels, you see this where coaches are just very, uh, they're very on all the time. You they're have people very like Dan Quinn who has clocks with like no numbers or any markings <laughs> on them. And just, they're, they're just kind of psycho. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and we see the most successful kind of people usually see, end up that way. Um, in coaching anyways, there's, there's exceptions to the rule always. And when one falls into your lap, like we have had with Tata, who is patient, is thoughtful about his answers, thoughtful about his interactions with media, thoughtful about his interactions with players. We see that on a day-to-day basis as well. Um, it's really refreshing and enjoyable, and it's going to be a very sad day for, for me personally uh, when, when we don't see Tata in the press scrum anymore, whenever that is. Yeah, he's a great, I mean, totally agree. It'll just be really sad. He's a great person to talk to, um, and I just really respect, you know, like after a post-game after a game in in the press conference, like he doesn't treat any of the media differently um, based on like who they are or, you know, how old they are. Cause there, we, there are, you know, there are some younger journalists sometimes that are there um, for Atlanta United. I'm not like, I'm not sure if there's those kinds of media types for like Falcons games or something, but I assume not. I assume like with a, a bigger league, there's some tighter credentialing, but um you know, he just treats everyone as long as it's a good question. If he thinks it's a good question, you know, usually he'll go bueno and then give his response. <laughs> he kind of like yeah, yeah. affirms the, the good question asked. Bueno. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be really yeah. sad if he leaves. I, I hope he doesn't. With not... even with some of the questions where, you know, they aren't that good. Uh, for example, have you heard of Juventus? Uh, <laughs> He handles those very, very well. Un poco. Well. Un poco. He's heard of them a little bit. Um, so that's really good. I remember when I first started doing this thing, um, I was a stupid intern for the Mario Daily Journal and just still in school, honestly. Um, and, of course, I act like that was forever ago. Uh, that was a year ago. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was not prepared and not on the level a lot of the people I was surrounded by journalistically. But even still, he would – he would recognize me. I could tell that he recognized me. I would um, interact with him. He would point to a spot in the scrum. He wanted me to stand uh, because that had become my spot. And that was good luck. And that always made me feel really at home. It was just, uh, you know, talking to my 
my uh, my somewhat hairy Argentinian uncle is what <laughs> I always thought about. Um, yeah and that's the part that I'll miss that's why I'll be freaking out I, I won't be freaking out because I think like Atlanta is this is not like, falling down the pecking order in MLS yeah. or anything I think that this club um is set up for a long time of success just yes. with the way that the facilities the way that the the front office is fleshed out you know every 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 spot in the organization is filled we have more people in our organization when you talk about people like lucy rushton you know in data analytics that a lot of teams don't have you know like um we have a lot of those advantages that some teams don't so i'm not concerned about us i'm just going to be sad because tata is going to leave and i just like him as a person yeah that's a big part but uh, we do kind of have to prepare for an imminent shift in the first edition of Lane United. We're going to have to move past the 1.0 uh, edition of this club. Paul McDonough is leaving. Uh, Tata could be on the way out. Miguel is leaving. Uh, a couple of other names could be gone this winter. It's going to be a major shift. None of it will matter at all if they win MLS Cup. If they win the title, who cares? No one's going to care for five years. Uh, that's not true at all. But uh, <laughs> people are going to be satisfied for at least a moment. Um, if they win a cup and kind of bear with some of the changes, but there is a, a shifting of the tides occurring. And this is kind of, it's not the first drop of the hat. McDonough was the drop of the hat. He's of course going to the Miami club um, with whose name I can international Miami, whatever the hell they decided to do. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was kind of the first drop of the hat. And now the, the wave is getting bigger with these rumors and it's, it's frightening. It's yeah, but, I mean, uh, this summer is going to be crazy. Like uh, at us, uh, uh, Dirty South Soccer as a website, like I guarantee you, we are the off season months. We will do way better numbers um, on our website than we did for large parts of the regular season. Um, yeah. And just in terms of like people coming to visit the site, because that that's some of the most interesting stuff to follow um, is all these off season, you know, especially when you're selling players last year, we weren't even really selling anyone except for. Carmona kind of happened in a flash at the end because we didn't think mm-hmm. we were selling them, but um, and I guess Assad left too. But you know, it's just going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts, and I think it's also an eye uh, an eye opener into I think the way that soccer is opposed to a lot of other sports, you know, especially American sports that are confined yeah. to a single league. You don't get as much player movement. I think in soccer, it's very much different in that players move a lot more. There's mm-hmm. a lot more buying and selling. It's easier to do because you're not confined within a salary cap. You don't have like, you know, you're just basically players or assets. And when they're like that, they're a lot more movable. Right. Um, and players and there, and obviously with so many leagues, with it being a global game, there's just so many more different opportunities that players have that might entice them. Um, it gives, you know, just a lot more possibilities for, for action to happen. And I think that we're yeah. kind of, you know, we didn't really see that at all after the first year, but we're going to see a lot of that yeah. coming up. And, and Joe Patrick, Joe Patrick, here's the thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring this real close and we're going to, we're going to whisper this because this is a truth you may not want to hear, but this, this fan base is not emotionally prepared for that. <laughs> they are not emotionally well adjusted uh, as a group to be prepared for that. Um, I mean, to be fair, I'm not either, but you know, right, exactly. Neither am I, but as a collective, it's going to be, (laughs) especially if there's no trophy in hand, there's going to be, um, 
Woo boy. Woo boy. Got a lot of growing up to do. We're gonna get there I'm, I'm already seeing like the shaming from other fan bases, like oh, you guys didn't think this was coming, blah blah blah, you know, all that stuff too. Plastics. And then the, the 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 feisty battles on Twitter and the, the sniping on mm. Reddit and oh it's gonna be it's gonna be joyous. Yeah. Please win a trophy. Uh, talk about the tatacalypse. I mean that this is going to be like <laughs> Yeah end of day be. stuff. Uh, speaking of winning a trophy, Joe Patrick, we do have actual games to uh, to get to at some uh-huh. point here. Um, <laughs> I know, right? We do have Colorado <laughs> coming up uh, at 3.30 on Saturday. Uh, we're not going to go too long to this because it's already been a long-ass podcast. Uh, but Colorado thoughts, Joe Patrick, they're really bad. That's all we got. I don't know well, what else. Yeah, I mean... I mean, my, my, my only thoughts really about this road trip are that it's going to be really interesting because um, like they're games we should win and like on paper, they're not interesting games, but the fact that they are must win mean is going to like give me a lot of anxiety watching these right. because like if anything goes wrong, unless like both games, we just, you know, we take an early lead and just kind of coast to victory. Um, that's like the only way I'll stay sane for these because yeah, we can't draw points, um, in my opinion. I, I don't think you can like kind of have the, the 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 nonchalant attitude that you can be like, oh yeah, yeah, a road draw would be fine in one of these as long as we win the games at home. Like, no, we we have to win every game. Yeah, that that went out the window in DC. That went out the yeah. window in DC. So you lost that luxury, guys. Way to go. Way to go. No, it's going to be stressful for sure. Um, it's that old adage too about having everything to play for and the other team has nothing to lose. Uh, so, I mean, teams are going to come out there and, and just hashtag try some shit, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, with Colorado, San Jose, um, RSL is fighting for a playoff spot. So that'll be a little more of a, of a less goofy kind of scenario. Uh, but, you know, we, we can't write these things off. I think we, we personally kind of got caught in the trap of, of riding off DC just based on the previous two games. Uh, and then they of course ran us off the pitch. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and write off Colorado and San Jose. I'm sorry. I'm just going to do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Joe Patrick, let's play this game. I love this game because I played this game earlier with the good folks at DSS and it took us a long, long while. In fact, I have forgotten the answer. So I'm going to look it up real quick. Um, without looking, without looking, I would like you to name the Colorado Rapids manager. Uh, he's, isn't he like Australian? Uh, he is absolutely not. Oh, um, (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. He's a white guy, probably. I thought he was like a white Australian guy. Oh, uh, he's English, apparently. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Well, I have no actually, idea. No, screw that. He's from Seattle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even his Wikipedia page is just very bland and confusing. Uh, he was the manager of New Zealand for a time. Oh, I think that's what I'm thinking uh, of. Okay, you're, you're picking up. No, this is his second year. Uh, with Colorado Rapids, he's done wonders for them, or um, something. They brought him uh, back. This is he. Oh yeah, this is second the, year. This, this is the encore, buddy. This is the encore <laughs> uh, for for Mister. I haven't even said his name yet. For Mister Anthony Hudson, 
um, the <laughs> who's apparently a real person. That's a great MLS name. Classic MLS um, name there. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, the team is a whole cast of nobodies, including the uh, the undead corpse of Tim Howard, who still they they roll him out and lay him in front of goal each game, which is hilarious. I heard um, our, Harry, our, our Dirty South Soccer Zone Harris Kruskich is working for uh, Bleacher Report slash TNT, um, and I think he reported in the uh, in our in our Slack channel today that. Uh, <laughs> they like they've. It's been made very clear that he will be retiring after next season. Yeah, next season. <laughs> next it season, very much. It's the uh, You've it's been the dead for like two Monty years. Python. Right. It's the knight in Monty Python who has all his extremities <laughs> cut off and still thinks he can bite people's ankles off. No, no, Tim Howard. No, no, you can't. You cannot. Gold don't ru- gold don't rust though. Gold. Don't rust. Damn right. And so just to catch everybody up, we will not be having a show between uh, Colorado and San Jose, just so you know. And probably probably not even – actually, I don't know. Our, our schedule might be in flux with all these games coming up. Grad school's fun. Yeah. Grad school's fun. That's all I'll say. Why don't we just plan now on doing a five-stripe final? Let's do one – can we do one after both of these games? Kind of yeah, recapping absolutely. them? I was planning on it. We can do that on Twitter, obviously, but we'll, we'll do a show um, between the San Jose game and the real Salt Lake game. How about that? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. All right, Joe Patrick, anything else you want to add? Uh, nope. I'm good. All righty. Well, I want to add one thing real quick. Uh, obviously shout out to our listeners, especially in Carolina's region. Tonight, uh, obviously, a big old storm coming your way. Uh, hopefully, you've evacuated by now, if necessary. Um, hopefully, the rest of your family is out of harm's way. Uh, do want to go ahead and mention to our other folks who are maybe not in the line of the storm that uh, you can donate to places like Red Cross and United Way to help out uh, with relief efforts there. If you want to get real, real simple about it, uh, all you have to do is text Red Cross. That's one Red Cross, one word, all together, all caps, Red Cross to nine zero nine nine nine. Again, that's nine zero nine nine nine, and you can donate ten dollars right there from your phone, Joe Patrick. It's that easy. Nice, it's that easy. Cool. I do have one thing I want to say now that you mentioned the hurricane. Uh, fine. Please, everyone, go read Aaron Bellamy's coverage of the NWSL oh, and North yeah, Carolina sure. courage. He's been doing it for dirty South soccer here. He's been, I mean, he's covered the car, the courage all season, um, but his cur- but his coverage around the dilemmas surrounding this hurricane and North Carolina courage, having a home game that was supposed to be this weekend has been excellent. It's been excellent reporting um, big ups to him. Even if you're not familiar with NWSL, like I'm not, I don't follow it, but I've just kind of been, really interested in reading um, these updates coming from him. It's, it's kind of sad. I mean, it's a, the leadership there is not great, but it's, it's good reading. Yeah, no, he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job all year. Uh, Big shout out to Aaron uh, for his NWSL coverage, for sure. For sure. All right. That'll wrap it up. We'll catch you guys soon. Sometime soon. We'll figure it out. Stay safe. God bless. Up the five stripes. Bye y'all. See ya.